strong values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. What if I told you that there is a chance, a fair chance, that you have unclaimed property that you could get from the state of Arizona? I was surprised by the number. The number is $2.1 billion, $2.1 billion just in Arizona in unclaimed property. How do you get it? How do you find out? You didn't even know this program existed. That comes from a lot of people. Well, joining me right now is Jim Norton. He's a partner at Garrison 48 State Policy Government Affairs Organization, been in government since 1995, and is doing some great work on this. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. Hey, let's, having me. Yeah, let's talk about this. When you and I talked about this, I could not believe the numbers. And what you did was you looked me up, and they oh, I have unclaimed property myself. That's right. Yeah, no, it's um, a surprising program that the state, they are required to let uh, people know that they have their property. And they do this by advertising in some obscure papers, maybe, maybe not so obscure papers. I've lived here since 1975. I didn't know I had property, but I had six plus entries on the state website, which I'm currently in the process of of getting getting some idea of what that is and how much. Well, I went and, and when people if, if people are listening right now and they want to know if their name's on that list, first of all, where do they begin? What do they do to find out if they have unclaimed property somewhere? I think the easiest way is to go to missingmoney.com and you can plug in your name and state. I will caution that uh, if you've lived in multiple states, you should check every state and you should check your name. And if it looks like it's off by a letter or two or maybe the wrong middle initial, it still might be you. Um, but missingmoney.com. And one of the things I noticed when I went to the website was it will tell you that you are owed something or that there's property or, or whatever it is, but you don't necessarily see what it is, how much it is. Why is that? Well, different states do it differently. Um, in Arizona, you, you've got uh, – there's some privacy issues that the department has continually talked about. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to fill out the form. You send it in, and they'll tell you how much it is. You have to prove that you own it, um, and that can come in different various ways. Um, and then they'll tell you, you know, exactly how much it is um, and, you know, how you can get it returned to you. And it's interesting, Mike, because um, – This could be anything from, you know, payroll checks that former employer um, wasn't able to get to you because your address changed, dividends, securities, uh, you name it, uncashed money orders. Uh, They're required by law to turn that into the state. And like you said, it's $2.1 billion, 37% of your audience right now listening probably has a record there uh, with some of their property that's being held by the state. What are some of the bigger, see either sums of money or property, what are some of the bigger numbers that you've seen in this? Well, I've, uh, I, I do some work for a client who has had um, orders of magnitude in the millions. Um, people die, there's life insurance policies that were unknown. Uh, there could be safe deposit boxes held um, that they, they, the bank will notify uh, the owner. And if the owner is deceased or the address has changed or the, the heirs are not on top of it, um, it can just get kind of misplaced. And it's you know, required by law, like I said, to go to the state. So there's, there could be substantial monies, and particularly when you have a death in the family. And I had a personal experience with that with my father who had one of those small policies. It was 1000 bucks, but you know, $1,000 to a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of money, and um, uh, so yeah, no, it, it can be 
it can be all over the map in terms of the amounts. Well, what can or what needs to be done so that this program is better known to people and it makes it easier for people to claim their property? What do you what do you propose? Well, so what we've looked at is states like Florida, you know, right now, Arizona returns uh, 26% on average of the money that comes in, 26%. Compare that to Florida, which returns over 60%. And how they do that is they privatize the return of collection uh, or the return of that money through what are called locators. You would get sent an, uh, a card in the mail that says, hey, you have unclaimed property, go to unclaimed property. If you need help, we're here to help, right? That's a, a privatized way of doing it. Um, you know, that's, you know, if the state ADOR has the responsibility to return it, their, their responsibility should be to do everything in their power. I think we have a convergence of bad policy when the groups that use this for funding, uh, and there are many, um, are connected to the funding source. No one really wants to see that go away. And so I don't want to cast dispersions on, on the intent, but if the intent, as it states on ADUR's website, is to return it to the people, there are a lot of easy ways to do it. And frankly, they hold all of our information. They know who Jim Norton is. There's, there's no reason why those uh, can't be connected, but most states look at using outside sources to return uh, and help people process. Jim Norton is joining us. He is the managing partner at Garrison 48. We're talking about uh, the website, again, is missingmoney.com. And it, what, the number you just threw out there is about, th- on average, 37% of the people listening right now have unclaimed property in the state of Arizona or somewhere in this country that they're owed? That's correct. Yeah, we believe that number is about 38 percent, 37%, 38% of people in Arizona. And I would be interested if your listeners are going on and checking it out. I'd, I'd be interested in stories uh, because it's amazing to me um, how many people find out they have money and they're surprised. And they're surprised because they're longtime residents and they had no idea. Uh, and I think that's the major disconnect from a policy standpoint that we are trying to correct. Ultimately, there will be probably 30% of that money that the owner cannot be found. They're dead. Um, there are no heirs. And that will fall to the state. And then I believe it's appropriate at that point in time to use that as a funding stream if that's what the legislature chooses. But right now, we have a major disconnect on an order of 50% plus of that money could be being returned. And uh, we want to get to it. So uh, that that leads me to two questions. Number one is, yeah. is there a limitation, a statute of limitation that eventually they get to keep the money because you haven't claimed it? And the second part of it is, I know you also ran my brother's name through the system, my brother who has passed away. Um, then how do you determine who's next of kin and entitled to whatever that property is? Well, I, I think you would have to. I mean, I'll take your second question first. Uh, we just had to prove my father, my mother's still alive. We had to prove that my mother was the um, the uh, recipient of those funds, which was fairly straightforward, and that process didn't take very long at all. I would presume, uh, I don't know who your brother's uh, you know heir would be, but that should be fairly easy to determine, and it's just a documentation issue. If that is, in fact... You know, the money that belongs to your brother. And I, I looked him up because I know your story and, you know, your story, losing losing a loved one. That's the first place you should go, because there are lots of things about our, our relatives that 
we may not know that they've had. And, you know, so it's, it's certainly that's key. Every state has different laws. I think Arizona's 35 years. The state holds that money interest. They don't give you interest on it, but they hold that money. And if you come back with a claim, they will pay it. Now, typically, there's so much coming in every year. And I think um, you and I talked a little bit. They've received $170 million in 2022. Um, and only 26 of the percent of that's being returned. So they, they will hold that if, in fact, somebody comes back in from many, many years ago, they will pay that up to and including out of the general fund. But they haven't had that problem. Well, Jim, you're, this is an eye opener. I, I, I'm sure we're going to get stories from people. Um, and you say you'd be interested in hearing stories. If you really do want to hear stories from people that have done this, how can they find you and tell you that story? Well, I would um, I would give my uh, I'll give you my email address and I'll, I know it might get overloaded, but that's OK, because I want to pick and choose from some of these stories. It's Jim Norton, AZ at Gmail dot com. And I'm, I'm happy to take any of these stories in and uh, use that in our in our quest down here at the legislature to change this policy. Well, I appreciate the time, Jim. It's an eye opener. And I'm looking forward to hearing some of these stories myself. Mike, thank you. All right, man. That's Jim Norton. That's Jim Norton, a political consultant. He's part of a government affairs organization called Garrison 48. Interesting stuff. Again, the website is missingmoney.com. Well, I would love to hear your story if there's property that is owed to you. Coming up in a moment, um, a judge decides about the zone downtown. We're going to talk about what happens next in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. Uh, big local news. We, that, we know about the zone. We've heard about the zone <clears throat> downtown Phoenix, about 12th Street, Madison, in that area. Down, um, you know, it, it's in a part of town that people are very, very concerned about. Uh, and it's down near the Capitol, 12th Avenue, you know, uh, moving toward the Capitol down near Jefferson in that area. Thousands of people or over a thousand people are there. A Superior Court judge uh, ordered the removal of the tents as soon as is uh, practicable. Um, the city shall maintain its public property in the zone in a condition free of A, tents and other makeshift structures in the public right-of-way, B, biohazardous materials including human feces and urine, drug paraphernalia and other trash, and C, individuals committing offenses against the public order. One of the things that the judge talked about, and I believe the city of Phoenix did it believing they were complying with a federal court decision, is that um, they really couldn't do a lot of these things. And um, this judge says that's not true, that you have a you, you've got to enforce the law, that there are there's drugs, there's prostitution, there's violent offenses being committed and you have to enforce the laws down there. Um, this is where it, it's dicey with people. I am someone if you've heard me talk about homelessness, I, I certainly am not someone that does not have a heart for the homeless. Um, I, I truly understand and the people that want and deserve and need the help to get out of that situation, we should do and I do everything in my power to try to help. And uh, I think it is a community problem. We all can be a part of the solution. But we also have to differentiate because there are people, they call them service resistant, meaning they don't want help. They refuse help. They don't want to go to a shelter. They don't want to live by the rules of being uh, alcohol and drug free. Uh, There are times when if you've got a significant other, you can't go together. Whatever those reasons are, there are people that are resistant to going. 
Now, um, we have to figure out a plan now because a judge is saying you have to do something. I think this is important because the citizens that have homes and businesses down there have as much right to a safe existence as anyone else. And you are not, in my opinion, you are not um, doing a disservice to people by telling people you can't sleep here. You certainly can't you know, go to the bathroom in the streets. Uh, you can't do drugs openly. That is happening down there. There's violent crimes that are happening. There's prostitution that's happening. And we can't allow it to happen. Does that mean it's going to erase the problem? The answer is absolutely not. Will these people go elsewhere? The answer is yes. There is a migration that happens with people in these situations, and it's not huge. It's not massive. But, you know, um, people will go north. They will go to Prescott, Prescott Valley in northern Arizona in the summer months because if you're sleeping outdoors, 118 degrees sleeping on a sidewalk is is almost – is not almost. It can be deadly. So you will see people go north, and then as the weather cools down and you start to get snow up north, people will come back down to the valley. It isn't solving the problem. It's just redistributing it. How can we put a dent in the problem? These are what the questions are. But I think this judge made the absolute right decision. I'm not going after and hammering the city of Phoenix and screaming and yelling. I'm saying you may have been under the impression that your hands were tied. You've got a judge that is giving you permission because now if the city is now motivated to do something about this and in the past what they've said is our hands are tied. There's nothing we can do. You now have a judge that is telling you, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And with that in mind, you should be able then to engage. Here's the part of it that's frustrating for me is who's going to have to enforce this. It's going to be the city of Phoenix Police Department and probably the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Oddly enough, the zone sits in very close proximity to both Phoenix PD headquarters and the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office headquarters. I mean, it's very close. And they are now going to be charged with cleaning up this mess. Now, maybe not physically cleaning up the streets and the drug paraphernalia, but certainly deciphering what to do with people, providing services or getting people services that they need, taking other people possibly against their will into jail or putting them in facilities because they have a drug problem. Whatever it is, it's going to start overwhelming the courts where you're looking at crimes that we're having a tough time having law enforcement to do their job with crimes that are happening in other areas. This is going to add one more level to what they have to accomplish now with this court order. This is a long way from done. A long way from done. And I'm hoping that sooner rather than later we get a solution. Um, tragedy yesterday in Nashville with this shooting. We had an interesting conversation with my friend Steve Hooper this morning, who is an expert in security with his years with the FBI, his wife also brilliant at this, and giving some advice and some insight into what we saw yesterday. And if you haven't seen the video involving the officers and the body cam video of engaging this suspect, it's harrowing. It is up on my social media. You will hear a little bit more from it as well. Stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
We are always attempting to do good work in our community and try to make our community a better place. If you'd like to join us in some of these community service projects, we started something called the Action Alliance. We'd love for you to join us. It's very simple. You're just on an email list or a text list. We will contact you whenever we have community service projects coming up. You don't have to commit to every one of them. Come when you can. We'll even send you a free T-shirt while supplies last. Just text the word ACTION to 411923 and you'll be enrolled. That's ACTION to 411923. A tragedy yesterday in Nashville, and the conversations online are are continuing, and it's an emotional topic. I don't um, begrudge anybody the emotion. It's emotional for me as well. How do you make sense of what we've seen and what we've heard? Um, But... uh, there's a couple of different directions with this we have to go. We had an interesting conversation with Steve Hooper this morning. Um, Steve has a company called Tripwire Security Solutions along with his wife, and their expertise comes because between the two of them, they have over 50 years with the FBI. And so whenever an incident like this happens, because this is specifically what they do, is advise corporations, you know, businesses about how you stay safe and threat assessment and owning the threat and all these different terms I've learned from Steve um, – and they expanded that to school districts, private schools, and, and so they, they want school districts and companies to people to have a plan. Uh, one of the things he talked about is hardened targets. Um, and so I want you to hear Steve talk about this. This isn't just schools, but he talks about targets that are hardened. It's not just about school shootings. It can be about terrorism. It can be about any type of workplace where you harden a target to for the physical security, for the safety and security of your your assets and your primary assets, of course, being your uh, people. And one of the other things that Steve talked about is um, the uh, having a plan and what he called pre-incident behaviors. This is fascinating. A change in behavior that's noticeable that and you just make sure you ask questions as to why this change in behavior and you have a plan in place to reach out to whether it's family or law enforcement or uh, proactive steps to prevent it from happening, not just planning to respond to it if it does happen. So this is uh, this is where it's difficult because um, where is this an invasion of people's privacy and um, we all want this to end. I, I don't know why we have to continue to have this fight with people and it, I guess social media is where I'm having the argument and it, it gets worse on social media. People that first of all are outraged on both sides of an issue. They're not really face to face with anybody so they say outlandish things and that's where the argument happens. I shouldn't have to clarify that I want these, these things to end as much as everybody else does. But there is an arrogance with some people in the anti-gun crowd that they believe that they care more, which is not true. Um, I am willing to have the conversation of why I stand where I stand on the issue. Um, but I'm not going to defend whether or not I care as much as you do. I care immensely. Um, and I want real solutions. I don't think coming after my guns, saying that I am the problem, um, I, I don't think um, that it, it, taking my guns away or limiting my access makes us any safer. There are people talking about concealed carry and how states that have allow open carry or concealed carry without a permit and – In the end, you're talking about people that are doing horrible things. This is a person that wrote a manifesto 
messaged a friend and said that she was going to die that day. And this is the other part. I, 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 I'm going to say this because I'm as confused as everybody else. And so I want to be very clear about what I'm talking about. The only issue with this person being transgender that matters is that there may be a grudge against the school that they're looking into. That was what the police said. So that would play a role in this. The other part of it is the confusion that this is someone that was born female but transitioning or identifying as a male. And everybody in the media is still calling her she. Whereas we've learned that when somebody identifies as a male, that you call them he. So why is it and what is it? And I'm, I am, I'm not making fun. I'm telling you the truth. That in a time when we've got six people dead, three of them nine-year-old children. And then, of course, the shooter is dead. But I'm talking about six victims. That we are arguing about whether or not we're using the appropriate pronoun. And I have to have a disclaimer on the air about appropriate pronouns is absurd to me. Absolutely, unequivocally absurd. This is a person that is so devoid of reality and a conscience that they walked into a school. And if you haven't seen the videos, I've got some more of the body cam video from the cops, but the security camera videos at the church, she blasts her way into this school And then blasts her way around the school and blasts through the window at the cops as they're pulling up. This is somebody that was murderous. When you are, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're someone that's transgender, do you want this person being identified with you? Why would you care what anybody says about this person? I don't want to have the conversation about this. The only thing that is pertinent to her being transgender is the possibility that it played a role in her doing this when they said there was a manifesto and a possible grudge against the school or the church. But now the other side of this, there is a video that has been released by Nashville PD. I think it was Nashville PD that released it, and it's a six minute a compilation of two separate body cam videos, one from Officer Rex Engelbert and the other from Officer Mike uh, Colazzo. And it is harrowing. I will tell you that the first three minutes are them making entry into the school and clearing rooms. But at about the three minute mark, and it's a six minute, five second video. Um, at about the three-minute mark, you hear gunfire upstairs. They make their way to the second floor. And the last minute of this is bone chilling and it ends with a hail of gunfire killing the suspect the first part of the video from uh, officer engelbert's body cam video doesn't really show you see the gunfire but you don't see the results the very very end the last 20 seconds of that video or so um, from officer Colazzo's body cam you do see the results now they have um distorted the face of the of the suspect but you definitely see the results and uh, so um i want you to hear a little bit of the body cam video just a little of the footage there you go second floor no locked door where do they go in First floor, first floor, first floor. Hold there, y'all. Somebody hold there. 
Hit that door. Um, the reason why I think it's important to watch this video is all of the criticism we saw in Uvalde, Texas was justified in how law enforcement failed to act and it cost lives. If you saw the video of the deputy that was hiding in South Florida at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, um, that officer, that deputy deserved all the criticism and law enforcement officers saw it. Uh, there were officers in Arizona. And other states that came out and said, we would, we will not respond this way that if called upon, we will respond appropriately. And when Nashville was called on to, to respond, they responded appropriately. This was a well orchestrated, um, clearing of this building that, that led very quickly, a, a 14 minute time span from the minute the call went out. To the call that went out that said the suspect is down. 14 minutes total. Pretty remarkable. If you want, if you can stomach the video, it is worth watching the heroism and professionalism of the officers. Coming up in a moment, I have an update on the officer involved shooting from last week. And it ties in to what we're talking about this morning. I'll get to it in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, There are a couple of different angles here. I want to start off by talking about the update about the officer-involved shooting where the officer was shot last week. Um, A couple of things that I want to mention. Um, One of them is... That uh, we know about one of the officers who was shot recently. Her name is Denise. I'm not going to go into her last name. I don't know if it's been made public or not. But if you remember one of the officers that was shot recently, Phoenix police officers within the last year, was shot at the scene of a, of a, of a domestic violence investigation. Um, and uh, they were investigating in the parking lot of a, of a gas station. And the suspect pulled up and just opened fire on the officer, shooting her below her um, – uh, bulletproof vest. I happened to see her at an event recently, and uh, she is in good spirits, but she is also um, undergoing another surgery. She is, although healthy and, and, and it's not life-threatening, still dealing with the physical wounds of that situation. I bring it up because we had another officer shot just last week who has been released from the hospital. And just like every other incident going back, I mean, even before that, but if, and when I say recent memory, I start with the the attempted assassination of Officer Tyler Maldivan with the Phoenix Police Department. The, the details of that shooting of that officer are so horrific um, and how he was – it was an attempted execution. There is no way around it when you hear the details. And that officer has made a remarkable recovery. And he's got a long way to go, but he has come much further than anybody imagined he would. And you move forward through the other issues involved where another, I think, was it nine officers at one scene were injured where a uh, someone tried to ambush police officers. Um, he tried to coax a police officer into his home to try to shoot him in the head. But the officer realized something was up and it was severely injured in the shoulder. And then a shootout with the police happened and more officers were injured. There were two officers that were lured past an apartment complex and they were ambushed. One was uh, injured um, in the hand. 
another one was injured by uh, flying shrapnel. Um, we've heard of these issues with officers over and over and over again, and it happened the other day. And so when we hear – and I don't want to convolute too much, but here's my stance, and I hope you'll at least respect it if you disagree with it. What happened in Nashville, we keep hearing about guns. We keep hearing about especially a certain type of gun. They call them assault rifles. The vast majority of shootings in this country, murders especially, are done by handguns, number one. But number two, every single Phoenix police officer that has been shot in the line of duty going back to Officer Maldivan have been shot by people that are what are called prohibited possessors. They are already prohibited by existing gun laws from possessing a firearm. This guy was no exception. He admitted he was on drugs. He admitted he'd taken Percocet and some other drugs and was drunk and didn't remember if he shot the officer or not. And he also had a stolen gun. So I will say to you, with all due respect, my stance is people like me that own firearms, and I own more than a few, but not as many as other people do. Um, we are not dangerous. I am not in the least bit of danger to the community. As a matter of fact, I would tell you in a desperate situation, I would be an asset. Um, and I represent 99.99% of gun owners. And all of these suggestions of gun control would do nothing to stop either of the situations, not in Nashville and not what happened in Phoenix at the end of last week. These are people that have shown themselves to have criminal records. This guy didn't have – the one that shot this cop here in Phoenix didn't have an extremely violent past, although a couple of his charges were gun charges. But he is a convicted felon and prohibited from owning a gun legally, so they get them through illegal means. I would say to you that if we want to start seeing a real reduction in murder in our country – Mass shootings or otherwise, we have to allow the police to start cracking down on the people that aren't supposed to have firearms that do. And then when someone and, and not using charges. So what ends up happening is, well, OK, this person was dealing drugs and they had a gun. This person was a prohibited possessor, but they got charged with stealing a car or they got charged for burglary. And then the charges kind of get wrapped into one charge to make it easier to prosecute or plead the case out. I would say to you that when we want to get really serious, once a firearm is involved and a prohibited possessor is involved, all bets are off. And we say to them, not anymore. You've already been told by law enforcement you are not supposed to have a firearm. Now you do. Now you will pay a heavy price. If we don't start doing that. We are not going to solve this problem. And I mean this with all due respect to the people out there that believe gun control and more laws are the answer. Look at the evidence. They don't care about gun laws. They don't care about the law. More laws are not going to protect people. I want this to end like you do. I certainly want to see this um, onslaught against officers to end it is open season on cops and we as a society have to end it
Coming up just after 10 o'clock is fentanyl damaging the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico because now more and more people are speaking out about the importation of fentanyl into our country. Who is really to blame for this? And will our two presidents, the president of Mexico and the president of the U.S., get together on a solution or is this going to further divide the relationship between the two countries? We'll talk about it next.